Welcome to Grace Harvest Church's weekly podcast. For more information about Grace Harvest Church or to find out more about something you hear during the podcast, visit us online at graceharvestchurch.org. Now listen in and allow God to speak to you through this week's message. Last week, Pastor Raul started a series that we're doing on the New Testament book of Galatians. And I'm going to continue that today. And I've titled the message, Good News of Grace, the book of Galatians. And today's message, I'm I'm calling the false gospel versus the true gospel. The false gospel versus the true gospel. But before I get into it, I want to start with a little levity because my message is pretty challenging today because we know as we learned last week that the Apostle Paul, when he wrote the letter to the Galatians, we know that his letter was confrontational. He was confronting false doctrine, he was confronting sin, and he was dealing with stuff that was out of line. And so I want to start with a little levity, and I don't know if you heard about this, but A man recently walked into a library, and he asked the librarian for books about paranoia. And the librarian turned to him and whispered, they're right behind you. (laughs) Or I don't know if you heard recently about the cement mixer and prison bus that crashed on a highway. It was terrible. Police are advising all the citizens in that area to look out for a group of hardened criminals. Come on, help me out here. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Got to have at least one good laugher, right? So let's review what Pastor Rell shared with us last week. First, he shared that the Apostle Paul, as he was writing to the Galatian Christians, asserted his authority with them because he was the father of that church, because of relationship, and he was the founder. And I, I shared with the first service that, you know, I'm part of, I guess you could say, the group of people that were the founders of this church. And there is really something to that. When you're a part of the foundation of the church, you put your blood, your sweat, your tears, your years of prayer, your years of work into people, into lives, and it becomes something that's a part of who you are. So when you see anything happening to the church, or you see people going in a wrong direction, or you see you know, division, or whatever it may be, it, it moves you. You see people beginning to embrace wrong ideas about God or false teaching, it really, really concerns you. Secondly, we learned last week that Paul teaches in this particular letter the foundational doctrine of grace and freedom for every follower of Jesus. Grace and freedom. And it was something he was willing to fight about. It was something he was willing to go to the mat. It was a hill he was going to die upon because it was so important and so central to everything that we believe as followers of Jesus Christ. He shared last week that this letter is a bit confrontative and angry in places because this people, this church had been set free through the grace of God and they were now returning to their chains of bondage. They were returning to a legalistic form of Judaism. They were returning to the law and being under the power and the authority of the law and not living in the power and the authority of Christ and His indwelling Holy Spirit. So Paul writes them and he's writing them like a broken hearted father and he's warning them. He's saying, stop 
Don't go that direction. And you know, as we start this morning, I want to challenge us. I want to challenge you that it's really important that we remember that doctrine and theology is important. Sometimes I hear Christians say stuff like this. I don't want to get into it. It's just a bunch of doctrine. And God's more concerned with the heart than the head. And, and that right there is a false doctrine. Christianity is not a faith that says, check your head at the door. It is a faith that is both intellectual and emotional. It is both of head and heart. In fact, I just want to say that if people didn't care about doctrine and theology, the church would have run into the ditch centuries ago. There were wars, there were battles, there were debates in early Christianity for the first 400 years around things like, is Jesus God? Is there a trinity? Things that were central. What is the meaning of the gospel? There were ideas that were being circulated and went throughout the church and began to deceive and take the church off. And people with great minds who loved theology got in there, dug in in scholarship, debated, argued, really got down to the brass tacks of what it is we believe and stood for it. And if they hadn't have done that, we would have been left with a false gospel, a weak gospel, a powerless gospel, and a gospel that does not ch change people. Amen? So it's really important that we understand that. I have two main points today. The first one is that some people preach a different and a false gospel. And they did then, and they do now. Some people preach a different and a false gospel. Secondly, we must preach the true gospel of Jesus like Paul did. We must preach and live the true gospel of Jesus like Paul did. Now, I'm going to be in the first chapter of Galatians... And we're going to be looking at, starting in the sixth verse and going all the way through to the end of the chapter. So my first point, let's get right to it. Some people preach a different and false gospel. Look at verses six through nine. Paul writing, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, notice that, he's talking about himself and the other apostles, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. What's Paul concerned about here? Well, the people were deserting Jesus and His grace. They were deserting Jesus. See, false doctrine isn't just believing maybe wrong ideas, but false, false doctrine is ultimately departing from the person of Jesus. Your devotion to the person of Jesus is distorted and twisted, and he was seeing these people deserting Jesus. There's a couple of different commentaries I want to read from here. The New Bible Commentary says this, In describing the Galatians' lapse, the apostle uses the language of military desertion. He's saying to him, you're like a soldier who's gone AWOL. You have left your people. And he's also using the language of political strife. Some people are throwing you into confusion. That's the Greek word. 
His focus is very specific. The Galatians are in the process of abandoning the gospel's teaching of grace. He does not mean by that, however, a mere intellectual change. Their action is intensely personal. They are, in fact, abandoning the one who graciously called them to himself. The Believer's Exposition Commentary says this, Paul strikes while the iron is hot. God has called them in his grace and saved them from their sins. Now they are moving from grace back into law. They are abandoning liberty for legalism. And they are doing it so quickly without consulting Paul, their spiritual father, or giving time for the Holy Spirit to teach them. They've become infatuated with the religion of the Judaizers just the way little children follow a stranger because he offers them candy. So they weren't even fighting over this. They just embraced it and took it in. And this same doctrine, this same idea exists today. It exists in a number of ways. Anytime somebody begins to add something to our need for Jesus Christ, and they start to say things like, if you really want to know what the truth is, you have to go back to the Hebraic way. You got to go back to the Jewish way of believing. You got to keep the Sabbath day, and you got to, you know, in other words, it has to be on Saturday, and it has to look like this, and, and you need to make sure that, you know, you're keeping all the feasts throughout the course of the year, and, and they, they add conditions on to the gospel that don't exist in the Bible. And they say, well, we're just returning to the Hebrew roots. But that's not returning to the Hebrew roots. Look, if you're Jewish or you want to engage in those things for personal conviction and because you love them, that's one thing. But to then begin to require it to other people and say, listen, if you really want to be on the inner circle, if you really want to be in the revelation of what God's doing, you have to do it this way, is heresy. It's false doctrine. It's not gospel. And then secondly here, the people were embracing a different and distorted gospel. This false gospel that is not good news at all is going to lead to destruction if the people don't return to Jesus. He's warning them. See, the Judaizers were destroying the gospel and claiming that it's necessary to add Jewish law-keeping back to the gospel for the people to be real followers of Christ. They focused on male circumcision because that meant that the people became Jewish in their religion, but they also included Sabbath-keeping, feast-keeping, etc., 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 right? Paul says... That this is not only, this isn't just a different perspective, but a false and destructive gospel that really is bad news. I think that's important because today, you know, we're in the live and, le- live and let live era. You know, well, you know, if you believe that, it's okay with you. I'll believe this, you believe that. And we even do it in the church sometimes. But there are some things that are central belief systems. There are some things that we call essential we call orthodox, and the word orthodox means healthy, right teaching. There are things that are central to who we are and what we believe that have been maintained for 21 centuries, and if we let those things go, the ship wrecks. And one of those is the idea that somehow Jesus and the cross and his resurrection isn't enough, that we need to add requirements to that. So rules, if you want to be a part of what God's doing, you need to do this, that, and the other thing. And if you do this, and this, and this, and different groups have different lists, and you just got to keep the lists, okay? You understanding? That's not the gospel. That's not what Jesus died for. And then he says this, and this is really intense, those who preach a false gospel are cursed, cursed. 
This Greek word is anathema. It means to be cursed and cut off forever. Think about this. It means beyond redemption. Paul says it doesn't matter if he or Peter or any of the other apostles preaches another gospel, they'll be cursed. He says that if an angel shows up and preaches another gospel, that angel is cursed. It's a false angel, a lying angel. It's not an angel of God, it's an angel of the devil, right? And so we have to understand something. This is serious stuff. And don't you think it's interesting, I'll just point something out, that two of the world's major religions are founded on the idea that an angel appeared to a man and gave him either plates or gave him writings that were a new gospel, the true gospel, or the true religion. Two of them are predicated upon that. Now, either an angel appeared to them or they lied and made it up, but either way, Paul says, even if an angel appears and delivers any other gospel, let them be accursed. We're not just talking about ignorance here. It's one thing to be ignorant, to not understand the truth. It's another thing to preach a different truth and replace the truth with that different truth. And that takes me to the second main point. We are to preach the true gospel of Jesus like Paul did. Let's look at verses 10 through 12. He says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, the gospel in Paul's life, listen to this, and even in your life, comes through a revelation of Jesus Christ. What is a revelation of Jesus Christ? This, this is um, not just from Him, but about Him. A revelation of what He's like. See, the true gospel will show forth its character and make it possible for non-Jewish people to come into the kingdom without having to convert to Judaism or become a citizen of Israel. When Jesus died on the cross, He told His followers, go into all the world. He never told them to preach Judaism but to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that is that Jesus is the Son of God, God in the flesh, that Jesus Christ came to the earth, that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life on our behalf. He lived perfectly because we couldn't. That Jesus died in our place on the cross, taking our sins upon himself in our place because we, if we die in our own place, we'll be judged. Jesus Christ was buried in our place and tasted death for us. Jesus Christ rose again from the dead bodily, and he, when he rose from the dead, he showed that we will rise from the dead as a new creation, the beginning of a new creation, the start of a new creation, the last Adam, the beginning of a whole new order. When he rose from the dead, that's what he inaugurated, that's what he began, and then he ascended to the right hand of God, and he sat down at the right hand of God, and he said, I will come again, and until I come again, go into all the world, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I've taught you, and behold, I am with you even to the end of the age. So as you're out there doing this, I'm with you, I'm in you, I'm for you, you go for it, I'm going to back you, I'm going to bring my spirit to you and through you, and the world is going to be changed. Because they preach the true gospel. Amen. See, and then he, and then he says something profound. He, he talks about his own conversion. 
Because Paul's conversion was proof of the power of the true gospel of grace. Look at what he says in verses 13 through 16. He said, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Wow. See, Paul was the ultimate religious Jew. He was trained under the greatest rabbi in the world at that time. This rabbi's name was Gamaliel. And Gamaliel had a rabbinic school, a school for rabbis. They'd be like Jewish pastors. And that was in Jerusalem. And Paul had studied under him, and he was known throughout the world. He was famous, this rabbi Gamaliel. And Paul was zealous for his faith. He was a zealot. He had all the genetic lineage. He had all the training, all the zeal, all the authority, and the traditions. He was the most qualified person to preach Judaism. And he believed he was doing the right thing. He believed that he was on the side of right, and the church, which they called the way, was on the side of false teaching. And he set out to make sure that they paid the price. He was going to be God's policeman, and he really believed that. He was the enforcer for the false doctrine. And so he went out with papers from the leaders in Israel, the leaders in Jerusalem. He went out with papers to arrest followers of Jesus. He went to their homes. He dragged them out of their homes. He stood by as the first martyr in Christianity. Stephen was stoned to death. As people were stoning him to death for preaching the gospel, Paul stood by and held their garments. They had outer garments, and they stripped their outer garments off, and they put them in the hands of Paul. And Paul stood there like, yeah, kill him, kill him. And he set off to Damascus, Syria, and he was on his way to go arrest more Christians, throw them in jail, kill them, whatever it took. And on that journey, Jesus Christ met him, blinded him, knocked him to the dirt, humbled him, didn't let him eat or drink for three days. He was led blindly to a man's home who was just a lay person. And that person laid their hands on him, prayed for him. Blinders fell off of his eyes and he saw clearly again. And this is the voice that came to him as he was there and he had that encounter with Jesus. Jesus shone as a bright shining light in the sky, brighter than the noonday sun. And Jesus said to Paul, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He's like, who are you, Lord? Because he hadn't persecuted anybody but people who were alive and Stephen, right? He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm Jesus who you're persecuting. Quit kicking against the goads. Quit trying to fight against something that you can't beat. Stop it, Paul. And Paul realized, Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul, Saul of Tarsus realized, hey, I've been fighting against God this whole time, and I thought I was fighting for God. And that became his testimony. See, he met the one. He was rocked by the amazing grace of God. He came face to face with grace, and it changed him. He came face to face with unfathomable love, and it changed him. He was never the same after that. 
He went on to write half of the New Testament. You think his life was changed? I mean, he went on to become one of the greatest minds in the history of humanity. One of the greatest theologians ever. He had personally met the one who was crucified for his sins. It became personal and was now risen and alive. You see, a testimony of a changed life is a powerful, powerful thing. Amen? Paul's doctrine was a direct result of a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. All of his years of training in the Bible and and his own encounter came together to produce a testimony that changed the world and all of history. Paul preached his testimony Throughout the book of Acts, you see it over and over again. His conversion was revolutionary. Think about this. His conversion was what it would be like today if the head of Al-Qaeda or ISIS came to Jesus Christ and became a radical preacher of Jesus. That's what it would be like. The ultimate enemy of Christianity, the enemy of Jesus, the enemy of what God is doing. That's what it would be like. Somebody who's willing to kill you for believing in Jesus. It'd be like if one of them got radically saved and now is out there preaching like a crazy man, right? And you know, the early church had a similar kind of testimony. The early church of the early Christians had a testimony of how God had changed their lives. In a recent book, Phil Cook and Jonathan Bach were asking some significant questions about why was the church different than today? And they said this, why did the early church succeed where we are failing? How did they transform the Western world in such a relatively short time? They did it because they did things that baffled the Romans. The early church didn't picket. They didn't boycott. They didn't gripe about what was going on in their culture. They just did things that astonished the Romans. They took in their abandoned babies. Now, they would take what they would do in that time is If they had a child they didn't want, they would take that child and then abandon it in certain places and expose it to the elements so the child would die. And so what the Christians would do, and they would would do it just before, you know, well, it was nighttime, just before the dawn came. And so the Christians would all go gather and they would hide in the bushes and behind walls. And these Romans would come and they'd look everywhere and they'd abandon their babies and then they'd leave. And right after they left, the Christians would come come in and swoop up those babies, take them home and raise them. And that started to get out there. They value life. They value these children. They help their sick and their wounded. They help people who were their enemies and hated them. If they were sick and nobody wanted to touch them because the plague went through, plague went through the Roman Empire several times. They would go right in the midst of the plague. And some of them would die because of it. And they would take care of these children. They would lay their lives down for these children. They restored dignity to the slaves. The Roman Empire was built on slavery. And yet they restored dignity to the slaves. They said, you are a son, not a slave. They were willing to die for what they believed. And after a while, their actions so softened the hearts of the Romans that they wanted to know more about who these Christians were and who was the God they represented. Without confrontation or protest, love and truth did its work. Isn't that powerful? And this is my last point. Paul ultimately, through his life, his transformation personally, brought honor and glory to God. And isn't that what we live for? We live to bring honor and glory to God. Do you know you were created by God to make Him look wonderful? To make Him look good? To make Him look beautiful? One of the sad things to me in the time that, that we live is that I see a lot of God's people that seem to not be making God look too beautiful and too honorable. 
That's another story. Verses 23 and 24, this is where I end. Look at this. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. And they glorified God because of me. How many of you, of you would sign up for that testimony? And they glorified God because of me. Not, and then I looked great and everybody wanted my, you know, my Twitter account handle and my Instagram and wanted to follow me on Facebook. And no, no. And they glorified God because of me. You see, we're created for that purpose, to glorify God. When people see the story of God unfold in our lives, it should lead to Him being glorified. Everything starts with our testimony. Do you have a testimony? How many of you have a testimony of God saving and keeping grace? What is it? Your testimony could be that God rescued you out of a horrible and sinful existence. Maybe you were an addict. Maybe you were rejected as a child. Maybe you were sexually abused. Maybe you almost died. Who knows? Maybe you come out of prison and you've been restored and renewed. Whatever it may be, your story is Jesus Christ got a hold of me and rescued me, and now I have a new story, and I have a new identity. I'm not that person I used to be. I'm a new person now. That's my testimony. Raised by a, a mom who was 15 years old when she had me, and a dad who was a drug addict and a convict, being around the first five or six years of my life, murderers and killers and addicts that were into all kinds of evil stuff, being exposed to that and living through that, and then being raised by a stepfather who was, didn't believe in God at all, was an agnostic and an alcoholic, and seeing violence and, and anger in my home, and then going out as a teenager and being kicked out of the house and running away and getting into sex, drugs, and rock and roll, right, and doing all the stuff. Stuff. And at 19 years old, having my life rocked by a revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen. By the way, you need to be able to do what I just did. You need to be able to share your testimony like that in about a minute. It'd be interesting if I could come up to you after the service and just say, tell me your testimony. You should be able to just go, boom, here it is. But maybe your testimony isn't that you got saved out of some horrible and sinful existence. Maybe your testimony could be that God preserved you from a horrible and sinful existence. Or maybe your testimony could be that God rescued you out of a religious and self-righteous life where you thought your upbringing and your own goodness was enough to keep you okay with God. And how many of you know that's just as bad? In fact, I'm going to tell you what, people that are self-righteous and think they've got it all together and they're all good and I never did that stuff and they think they're morally superior to someone else, they're the ones that are many times most in danger because they're counting on themselves and not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Does this make sense? See, Jesus Christ was crucified and died for your sins. It's personal. How many of you make it personal? It's personal. He rose again to make you right with God. It's personal. So start your testimony today if you don't know him and put your faith in him. Amen. Let's rise. Let's stand. Rise, stand, whatever. Let's stand and rise. How many of you have a testimony? I have a friend who... Years ago, we would go out as young people. We lived in Southern California, and we'd go out as young people. We were all a bunch of new radical zealots that all got saved 18, 19, 20, 21 years old. 
And we would go out to these canyons in Southern California where these young people would be partying. They'd have keggers out there, be getting high, partying. And we'd show up as a group to those parties, get out of our vehicles. We would uh, spend some time praying ahead of time, and we would just go and preach Jesus to these young people and then ask them if we could pray for them. Or just go and say, hey, can we pray for you? How you doing? Is there anything we can pray for you about? And I had a friend who would go with us all the time. And one time I heard him telling his testimony. And I'm like, gosh, I never knew that about you. Say, I came out of drugs and I did all this stuff. Jesus saved me. And so I pulled him aside afterward. And I'm like, I didn't know that about you. And his head kind of fell. And he said, that's not, that's not true. I'm like, What? Well, my testimony isn't like yours and some of the other guys. I don't have this dramatic testimony of coming out of drugs and doing all this bad stuff. I didn't do that stuff. I was actually a pretty good kid, kid, even though he came from a rough background. And I'm like, so you're making up a testimony? Yeah. Stop it. Your testimony is you were protected from that. Praise the Lord. That's just as powerful. And some of you, I want to tell you, you feel like I don't have anything to say. Yes, you do. Yes, you. maybe you were raised in a Christian home. You didn't do all the bad stuff. Praise the Lord. That was God's provision for you. That was God's love for you. That was God's care for you. Your testimony could be, but God has shown me my heart. And I know if I was left to myself, I'd have done that. If I'd been raised in a different home, I might have done that. If my circumstances were different, I might have done that. I stand in no place of self-righteousness. I can't stand on my own merits. My merits alone are in Jesus Christ. Amen. That's the gospel. And I just want to say, if you're here today and you haven't experienced that amazing grace, that love, that is in Jesus Christ, he wants to meet you today personally and begin to change your life. Can we pray together? Just close your eyes.